Well, I want to start this morning with a story. So I, I read this first in a book by Dr. Dobson. But check out this story. It's, it's just amazing. The missionary was serving as a medic in Africa. Periodically, he had to travel by bicycle through the jungle to a nearby city for supplies. It was a two-day trip, so he would camp in the jungle overnight. He had always made the trip without incident, but one day when he arrived in the city, he saw two men fighting. One was seriously hurt, so he treated the man, shared Christ with him, and went on his way. The next time, the missionary traveled to the city. The man he had treated approached him. I know you carry money and medicine, the man said to the missionary. Some friends and I followed you into the jungle that night after you treated me, knowing you'd have to sleep in the jungle alone. We waited for you to go to sleep, planning to kill you and take your money and drugs. As we started to move into the campsite, we saw 26 armed guards surrounding you. There were only six of us, so we knew we couldn't possibly get near, and we left. When he heard this, the missionary laughed. That's impossible, I assure you. I was alone in the campsite. But the young man pressed the point. No, sir, I wasn't the only one who saw the guards. My friends saw them too, and we all counted them. Several months later, the missionary attended his home church in Michigan and told of his experience. A man in the congregation interrupted his presentation by jumping to his feet and saying something that left everyone in the church stunned. With a firm voice, he said, we were with you in spirit. The missionary looked perplexed. The man continued, on that night in Africa, it was morning here. I stopped by the church to get some materials for a ministry trip. But as I was putting my bags in my trunk, I felt the Lord leading me to pray for you. It was an extremely strong urge, so I got on the phone and gathered some other men to come to the church and pray for you. Then the man turned the rest to the rest of the congregation. Will all of those men who pray with me that day stand up right now? And one by one, they stood up, all 26 of them. This is a true story. And this story is a good introduction into what we're going to be talking about this morning. That there's more to reality than what our two eyes can see. Today we're going to be camped out in Daniel chapter 10, and in this passage we get this window into the invisible spiritual realm that impacts all that we experience in the physical realm. And so I'm going to pray, we'll read our passage for today, and then we're going to consider what this, might, this passage might tell us about the invisible spiritual realm. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for who he is, what he's done, and what he's promised to do for us. Lord, we are greatly blessed. We have so much to be thankful for, so much to be grateful for. Lord, uh, we live in this world a lot of times completely unaware uh, that there's a spiritual wor world that's alive and active, that heavily, heavily influences what happens in the world that we can see. 
Lord, I pray that as we look at Daniel 10, that you would enlighten our hearts and minds, that we would see, that we would get a glimpse into this invisible world, and that it would lead us to just understand how amazing you are and how extremely powerful that you are, that you are the great one, that you are the king of kings, and that we can be overcomers because you have overcome the world. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, let me read Daniel 10 to you. Like a lot of chapters in Daniel, I warn you, it's uh, just, it's a vision. It's kind of, when you read it, it's hard to even start to wrap your mind around it. Um, but I think there's some good stuff here as all of Scripture is profitable for teaching us, for training us in righteousness. It's a lamp unto our feet. And my job as a pastor is to teach the whole counsel of God. And so this is here for a reason. We need to hear this today. Let me read Daniel 10 to you. It's on the screen if you want to follow along there. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of epaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, But a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me. For my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble, On my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips, Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. 
For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you, have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. All right. So in today's passage, we, ha- we find Daniel. And what Daniel's doing, he's mourning, he's fasting, and he is praying. And here's why. The 70 years of exile in Babylon that, you know, we've been talking a lot about this has ended. And so Daniel and his people are allowed to return back to their homeland, Jerusalem, and rebuild their temple. The Persian government, the Persians came in, overcame the Babylonians, and they've allowed the Jewish people to return back to Jerusalem and build their temple. Now, here's the problem. Although they were allowed to do this, they ran into very fierce opposition by the neighboring people, the people living in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem. And so, and you can read about it in Ezra 4 if you want to read about the opposition that they experienced. The opposition got so bad that rebuilding the temple actually ceased for a period of 10 to 15 years. Years And so you can imagine that Daniel has questions. Lord, the 70-year exile is finally over. This is what we've been waiting for. We're allowed to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. We get the altar built. We get that done. And then we experience all this opposition. What is going on? We're st- we've gotten stopped right dead in our tracks. Why? And so you can imagine that Daniel is just pouring out his heart to God. And actually, based on the timing of the first month, this would have been during Passover, which was a huge celebration by the Jewish people. But here, Daniel is fasting, praying, mourning when he should have been living it up. Here's what Daniel learns from this vision that he receives while standing on the banks of the Tigris River. There's an invisible battle raging that has eternal implications And he must fight. And so we're going to look at these two points. That there's an invisible battle raging that that has internal, eternal implications. And we must fight. So let's look at that first one. There's an invisible battle raging that has eternal implications. So of course, Daniel was already aware of the spiritual realm. Uh, He knew God, right? And already the angel Gabriel had approached Daniel and, had, and he's had conversations with God's angel Gabriel in the, in the previous chapters of the book of, of Daniel. But here in Daniel 10, Daniel is given a window into the spiritual realm in which he's able to see with exceptional clarity the evil that is present in the spiritual realm. Daniel learned that, hey, the surrounding nations, 
the surrounding people in and around Jerusalem that are surrounding the, the Jewish people that have returned there, they're not the only ones opposing God's people. In fact, behind those opponents is a greater opponent that, are, that is using these humans to try and thwart God's purposes. In verse 12 of our passage, the angel told Daniel that as soon as, soon as Daniel humbly started praying for understanding, that Daniel's words were heard by God's angel, and God's angel started to make its way to Daniel. And then look at what verse 13 says. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. So who is the prince of the kingdom of Persia? that held up God's angel, most likely Gabriel, from getting to Daniel. Who is this prince of the kingdom of Persia? And who is Michael that aided this angel in getting to Daniel? Well, Michael, we know from the four other places that Michael is mentioned in the Bible, that Michael is... God's archangel. He's the, the chief angel. And that's why verse 13 calls him the chief prince. And since the other being in this passage is also mentioned as a prince, this prince of the kingdom of Persia, then like Michael, this being must be an angel as well. This is another angelic being. Now, we learn that the prince of the kingdom of Persia must be extremely powerful, for he was able to delay God's messenger, and he must be evil because he's trying to prevent God's work, right? And so in verses 5 and 6, this really shows us how powerful this evil angel was because look at the description of the good angel, God's angel, in verse five, verses 5 and 6, we have that, this God, that God's angel was clothed in linen with a waist girded with gold, a body like beryl, which is a type of crystal, a face like the appearance of lightning, eyes like flaming torches, arms and legs like gleaming bronze, and a voice that boomed with the volume of a crowd of people. And here, what... What this is telling us is this angel really reflected God's amazing power, his holiness, and his glory. And yet, even, and it, so much so actually that Daniel like fell flat on his face and fainted when he saw the holiness and the radiance and the glory of this angel as it reflected God's glory. Now, here's the thing. As powerful as God's angel was, and even though it really reflected God's you know, amazing attributes, it still was not powerful enough to get past this evil angel, this prince of the kingdom of Persia. And it was only when God's chief angel, Michael, came that this 
angelic messenger was finally able to get to Daniel. And this tells us, look, guys, there are very powerful evil forces in the spiritual realm opposing God, his plans, and God's people. And these forces, they can take control of earthly power structures such as governments, kings, and kingdoms. They can even influence and even control people. And, of course, Daniel 10 is consistent with what the rest of the Bible tells us, right? That behind the invisible, or behind the visible, there's the invisible realm. And in that invisible realm, there is a battle raging against God, his angels, and then Satan and his angels for this world and for the hearts of mankind. You know, whether we like it or not, you're engaged in this invisible battle. You're in it, whether you like it or not. And Satan and his agents, they have one aim, and that is to kill. John 8, tells us that he has been a murderer since the beginning. His goal is to bring death wherever he can. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your families. He wants to destroy your friendships. He wants to lead as many po- people as possible to eter- eternal death and hell. He hates God. The enemy hates God. He hates God's people. He wants to keep people from God's truth. And if he can't get a person to join, if he can't keep a person from joining God's side, you know what he tries to do? He tries to render them ineffective for God's purposes. Now, of course, Satan doesn't want people to know that he's real and that his agents are real. That way he's free to deceive and to trick and to do whatever he wants with the people of the world and cause all sorts of destruction and keep them far away from finding life in Christ. And, you know, that, that's what he wants. I mean, many people don't believe there's a spiritual world. Many people don't believe there's, an, there's Satan, right? And... Look, if he can't get people to disbelieve, disbelieve in his existence, he will try and get people so focused on physical, tangible things that they totally forget that they're in this invisible spiritual battle. And so I ask you this morning, how about you? Has the enemy convinced you that he doesn't exist? Do you realize that there's a spiritual dimension behind the problems that you face? Do you realize that each day you wake up, whether you like it or not, you are engaged in an invisible battle? The question then is for us who realize and acknowledge that we're in this invisible battle is what do we do? That leads us to our second point. We must fight. you got to fight. How must we fight? I'm going to give you three ways that you got to fight. The first is you got to recognize your own limitations in the fight, in this invisible battle. You must find spiritual power, and I'll tell you where it's located. And you must employ that spiritual power that you find. I'll tell you how to employ it. We must recognize our own limitations. That's the first step. We cannot win this battle against the evil one. 
We can't. Not in our own resources. Satan and his agents, as I've mentioned, they're extremely powerful, and they've been deceiving humanity now for thousands of years. We're fools to think that we can outsmart them or overpower them with our own intellect or strength, right? In her chapter, Daniel comes face to face with his limitations. He wasn't even powerful enough to stand before God's angelic messenger, and that angelic messenger wasn't powerful enough to get past the evil angel so what? I mean, Daniel would have known that there's no way then him, you know, in his own resources could have gotten past the, the evil angel. He wouldn't have stand a chance. I don't know why this image came to me, but for Daniel, trying to overcome the evil forces would have been like trying to kill a T-Rex with a doll plastic spoon. No chance, right? Look, if our real battle... It's not against flesh and blood, like the Apostle Paul tells us, but against the forces in the heavenly realm, you've got to fight with heavenly power to defeat the forces in the heavenly realm. And this is why I think so many people are struggling in their marriage, or so many people are struggling in their friendships, or so many people are struggling in their careers, or whatever it is, is because... Our society has convinced people that if you just try hard enough, if you just try these five simple steps, you're going to have a better life. And if you just strive for those things, you're going to have better relationships. And your projects and all your endeavors, they will go well. But we cannot fight the spiritual battle with natural power and expect to win. We need to fight our spiritual foe with spiritual power. So where can we, now that we know our own limitations, where can we find the spiritual power to fight our spiritual battles? And the answer is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. What enabled Daniel to stand in our passage? The spiritual power that he received from God's angel. That's what allowed him to stand. Verse 18 says, the, the one having the likeness of a man touched and strengthened me. You know, some people are dualists. Dualists believe that there is God and there is Satan, but that they're equal in power. And so they're constantly at war, but that war will last eternally, and no one will get, gain the upper hand because they are equal in power. The Christian worldview says something different. The Christian worldview says the dualist is off. That Satan, yes, is opposed to God, but he is by no means equal with, equal with God. Satan is a creature. God is the creator. Satan is powerful. God is all-powerful. Satan is knowledgeable and crafty. God is all-knowing. Satan can only be in one place at one time. God is everywhere at once. Satan is finite. God is infinite. The Satan that is opposed to God, he is opposed to him, but he's not equal with God. And you know where this was fully displayed? Was at the cross. This is where it was fully displayed for the world to see. Check this out. On the cross, you have Satan and the demo- his minions, the demonic forces of the spiritual realm, throwing their 
throwing everything they could muster up at God's son. Evil was at its worst when it just brutally mutilated the sinless, perfect son of God. And just when it looked like evil had won a decisive victory against the house of God, and Satan was the king of kings, and therefore the ruler of this world, what did Jesus do? He rose from the dead, and in doing so, totally demonstrated his power over evil in the worst that it could possibly do. Now, what's more, and I think this is just so awesome, like you can't make this stuff up. What I think is so amazing is that by Jesus, we find out that Jesus actually allowed himself to be killed on the cross. He put himself there. Satan probably thought he was doing this, but really it was God doing this. And here's what's amazing about God is he allowed himself to be put on the cross so that Jesus would pay the sins for all of humanity and as a result, disarm Satan of the only real weapon that he had against people, and that was unforgiven sin. And so here you have the enemy thinking it's doing its worst against the Son of God, against the household of God. And actually, God is using that worst to produce the greatest results ever. And that's the salvation for people. Because no longer Satan can stand before the throne of God and say, for those who are covered in Christ, that person's guilty. He can no longer say that. Satan's attempt to defeat God led to his own defeat. Satan and his agents were completely outclassed, outsmarted, if that's a word, I'll make it up now if it's not, utterly defeated by the true king of the world, Jesus. And for those who are willing to come to Jesus believing that he has died for their sin and has defeated evil by rising from the dead, then God promises that they will be forgiven and that God's spirit will come and live inside of them and give them the spiritual resources they need to be victorious against the spiritual powers in the spiritual realm. It is in and through Christ that we have victory, are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, joy, and to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Have you come to him? Have you come to the altar? His arms are open wide. Forgiveness bought with the precious blood of Christ. The Apostle Paul writes about this in his letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. 
And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince, ah, there's that word again, of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1.18-21 says, That you may know, Paul was praying for the, the believers at Ephesus, that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, the prince of the kingdom of Persia and his might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Have you turned to Jesus by repentance and faith? And are you connected to the one who has the heavenly power that can enable you to overcome your battles in the heavenly realm. Um, just real quick, uh, I w- got to jet ski at the Grables, which is awesome. And I got to take my boys out on the jet skis and Mary too. And um, I was on a tube also with just me and the boys, and Titus was pulling us around the island out there at Lake Harmony. And I'm hanging on for dear life because I'm barely on the tube because they're taking up all the space. And my knees are, I had a bruise on my knee from my knee hitting the, the, the water. And I finally had to tell the boys, give them the stop sign, you know. And so they gave them the stop sign. And then I'm trying to get resituated. And I see Isaiah out of the corner of my eyes smiling going to like this to them. <laughs> so he's trying to kill me, I think. And then after that, I was on the jet ski with my family, which was great. And I had this idea, I'm going to, as I'm drifting back into the dock, about 15 yards out from the dock, I'm going to hit the off button on the engine so we can coast into the dock. Well, I did that. Once I did that, though, it's amazing how I lost, we just lose control. We started shaking back and forth, left to right. Mary, Elijah, and I all fall off into the water. The Grables have this on video, by the way. And there's Isaiah just sitting on top all by himself, just smiling again. But this makes me think about how when we are disconnected from God, the power source, we we lose our way and we fall crashing down into the water. So... Once you're connected to the power source, then you must employ the spiritual power that God 
can give you. You know, armor is no use if you don't put it on. A sword is no use if you don't know how to wield it and you don't pick it up and wield it. God has given us great spiritual power. We have access to the heavenly realms through Jesus Christ. But look, we got we to gotta tap into it. We've got to uh, grab hold of it. And how, so how do we employ this spiritual power that is ours as a child of God? Well, Ephesians 6 tells us, the Apostle Paul, he talks about the armor of God. And these, these spiritual resources that we have in Christ to fight this spiritual battle. And he talks about God's truth. He talks about the ability to live righteously. He talks about sharing the gospel of peace. He talks about faith in God's promises. He talks about the assurance of salvation. He talks about the power of God's word as our sword in battle. Now here's the thing. When Paul is done listing the armor of God, this is what he says in Ephesians 6.18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, you know what enables you to be clothed in the armor of God? It is prayer. Prayer is what dresses you in the armor. And so when you pray over God's truth, it starts to clothe you. When you pray that God will give you the power to live righteously, and I'm sinning in this area, and I need help, be able in the right ways, and you pray that, God strengthens you then to be able to overcome that area of unrighteousness in your life. When you pray that God would enable you to share the gospel of peace because that just destroys the enemy. When you pray for opportunities and you pray that you would seize the opportunities, God provides them and you seize them. And that gospel of peace then makes it way into people's hearts that you're, you know, the people that you're sharing with. When you pray God's promises into your life, your faith is strengthened. When you pray and you give thanks for the salvation that you've received in Christ, there's a peace that can come upon you. Prayer is perhaps the most powerful, the single most powerful weapon that we have against the enemy, but it's often the most neglected weapon that we have. And we've been talking about prayer a lot over this sermon series, and we're talking about it again because it keeps coming up because you guys need to be prayer warriors. Do you pray? Do you have a plan? I I don't know how to emphasize this anymore. I mean, it is a matter of spiritual life and death for you, for people that need Jesus. Look, in our passage, Daniel is praying, and the angel comes and strengthens him. In the garden, Jesus, he's in the heat of a spiritual battle. What does he do? He prays, and an angel comes and strengthens him. Jesus said that prayer has a direct impact on spiritual warfare. Check this out in Mark 9, verses 14 through 29. The disciples, they're attempting to cast out a demon, but it wasn't working very well. And they're just 
frustrated and they come to Jesus and they ask Jesus what the problem was. And what did Jesus say? This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Apparently there are evil spirits that are not compelled to respond to any other means but the means of prayer. Remember Jesus once told Peter that Satan had asked to sift him like wheat. What did Jesus say to Peter? But I have prayed for you. Prayer assists in the deliverance of people who are undergoing spiritual attack. I tell you what, I, a week and a half ago, a week ago now, I was so depressed and sad. And I turned to Mary. We're eating dinner. I'm like, I'm so sad. I don't know why. I'm just depressed. I don't know why. I was saying to my soul, why are you so downcast, oh, my soul? I don't know, but I can't say this definitively. I was planning to, I didn't know exactly that I would be preaching about spiritual warfare. I don't know. Let's wrap this up. You're involved in an invisible war that has eternal implications. So you must fight by recognizing your own limitations. You must find spiritual power by connecting to God through faith in Christ. And then you must employ spiritual power through prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the king. And you have demonstrated your immense power over evil most clearly through your death and your resurrection. We are so grateful that by your death and resurrection, not only were you demonstrating your power over evil, but you were also simultaneously making a way for us to be connected to you so that we could overcome that very same evil. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You're amazing. Lord, I pray that every person in this room would recognize that there's more to their problems than meets the eye. That they would be people of prayer. That they would pray without ceasing. That they would pray when they don't feel like it. That they would pray for anything and everything. Because prayer makes a difference. It changes things. It beat, beats back the forces of evil. It storms the gates of hell. It sets the captives free. It gives sight. It gives sight to the blind. May we be a church of prayer. May we storm the gates of hell here in Maslin. It's in Jesus' name, the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.